1: of horrors on Friday the 13th. I knew I had to
0: have you. (laughs) And a date with the body snatchers.
1: This is my family.
0: Now, the only chance to survive is to become one of the family. I
1: used the charm to enter Eddie's body. Ah, It's me, Johnny.
0: On an all-new episode of Friday the 13th, the series. You're listening to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the cancelled TV series in science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. I'm your host, Dr. Chris.
1: And I'm Mr. Seneca.
0: And tonight we are covering Friday the 13th, the series, episodes... 15 and
1: 16. 15
0: and 16, which are uh, a combination of Werewolf in London and The Hills Have Eyes or The Texas Chainsaw Massacre... That's kind of the themes I got in these two episodes.
1: Yeah, the very uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Ed Gines, yeah, yeah. Uh, Reserving the very bodies. Very creepy. <laughs> yeah, very, very okay.
0: creepy. Okay. Very creepy, uh, one Jackaless episode and then one with the whole cast. So we're getting back to having the whole <laughs> cast after our two episodes in a row where we had, like, uh, no curious goods, no cursed objects, and no cast.
1: Yeah, and so they're coming back. Uh, So tonight, The Long Road Home, originally aired February 12th, 1990. Mickey and Johnny must use a charm that transfers one person's mind into another's body. ta Which
0: works for mixed results, uh, depending on uh, how it all works out for everybody. Also, this is another one of those episodes we feel like we're coming in the middle of a plot line because it opens with uh, a guy swimming and Johnny drowning.
1: Yeah, Johnny is bound underwater, like he was put into some serious peril.
0: But it also feels like we are coming in the middle of a plot line once again, and I don't like it, because it's not done very well.
1: Aw. Well, I I mean, there's... At first, when when I turned on this episode, I, I, I was a little jolted because I thought maybe there was some that I missed. You know, like maybe I didn't have the DVD, you know, right at the start of the episode. So there was a bit of that moment for me. But when I figured out that, oh, this is like the um, Medusa Shard, where you are coming in at the tail end of them actually capturing the object. I'm like, oh, OK, it's one of those stories. All right. You know. Uh, yeah,
0: but it just kind of feels like that, uh, um, I don't know. It feels like there is other stuff that we could have been involved with, uh, prior to this. Um, one thing I want to point out, we have not pointed out, uh, before on the show regarding, oh my God, somebody's just continues messaging me.
1: I was wondering what that was.
0: (laughs) Fucking Facebook, I gotta get off Facebook. Um pause real quick. So the episode is uh as well as the series is produced by Lexicon Productions, uh Variety Artist International and Hometown Films, uh besides it being a Paramount Studios, you know, uh funded project. Um, Mm -hmm. these studios have worked on other things, uh, that Paramount, I guess, owns, such as War of the Worlds TV series, and the 1986 original April Fool's Day slasher movie.
1: Oh, so that's why they're in everything that we, (laughs) all the actors seem to be on War of the Worlds at some point.
0: Yeah, because of the, uh, how, how, uh, they would basically transfer from, like, one studio to the other. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, or not the one studio, but you know what I mean? They're, they're probably filming all in the same location, so they can easily just like get those extras to come over to do something else.
1: Oh yeah. Or yeah. extras yeah. or,
0: you know, whatever. Anybody that needs, uh.
1: Our, our special guests has, have mentioned this before that that's just kind of how work was done back then.
0: Right, and it happens currently now on the CW. You look at a lot of the actors that are on the various CW shows, going back to when it was the WB with, like, Gilmore Girls, to Smallville, to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, to now currently on the Arrowverse shows in Supernatural. Cool. Which the Arrowverse (laughs) shows, of course, have dominated the CW. Of course, like, Constantine is now on, you know, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Um, Loving it. And uh, they just had their, like, mid-season kind of break or finale. Um and of course they just did their big uh wh- what what was it uh, the Elseworlds crossover and next year they're going to be doing the Crisis on Infinite Earths which a lot of people know that means the DC Aero shows are going to be introducing the Anti-Monitor who is the big bad of comicdom he's responsible for the deaths of trillions of people Oh
1: so like the Thanos of DC
0: uh no that's the joke that people have basically shown like memes of like Thanos going I'm gonna wipe out half the universe or whatever yeah okay that's our universe that's our <laughs> universe the anti-monitor is responsible for the death of countless trillions in the multiverse all right he can walk between universes and just snuff out entire <laughs> existences of people not half of them as many as he deems necessary so if Thanos only wanted to cut the universe in half, the Anti-Monitor is just purging of all life, period. In every multiverse. Until there is just one left.
1: Well, I'm glad that's not anything to do with our episode tonight.
0: <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe he would go to a Friday the 13th or something the episode oh, no. the episode the long road home um i'll probably edit all that stuff out that's fine anyway the long road home has uh a rather unusual cast with it with uh all these kind of um hillbilly uh hills have eye kind of guys and people
1: yeah the the Negley brothers right. you know Eddie and Mike Negley who are these like dirty backwoods you know hillbillyish type guys that you know, the first time you see them, they're bringing a dead chicken to a bar. Uh, it, it, it... Was
0: played by Geza Kovacs, uh, who, is cur- who was just on uh, Orphan Black, a uh, science fiction show pretty pretty popular, um, mm-hmm. as well as Night Heat and uh, The Dead Zone, the movie, the original Dead Zone movie. Uh, Angelo Rizakos plays his brother, uh, has no career past 1990, so don't know what he's doing and no death certificate either. Uh Barbara Radecki. Uh, I think we've talked about her before. She was Sailor Neptune on uh, Sailor Moon and she was oh, in, yes. She was in she's, of, she's been on the show. Yep, yeah, and she's been in Degrassi, Man of the Year, and uh the movie 54. Cool. So, Beverly Morley, who played the uh the waitress in this episode, has a bit part career up until she guess retired. Sometimes these IMDbs don't go any further than a certain time period, but don't list a death certificate.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, people move on. So, this roadhouse that uh, that they arrived to after gaining this yin-yang uh, medallion, this charm, did you notice that the name of the roadhouse?
0: Uh, no.
1: It was hint. It was called Henshaw's Roadhouse, oh named after writer Jim Henshaw. Oh nice. I thought that was a great little Easter egg,
0: yeah, I didn't catch that,
1: yeah, this roadhouse is apparently about uh four to five hours away from Jack at back of the shop, so uh they're they're in the, hence the the name of the episode, The Long Road Home, because that's you know all of this adventure happens as they're trying to return home.
0: Hmm. yeah, yeah. Um with their uh the newly required the newly acquired cursed object, the yin-yang little button.
1: Yeah. Uh and this was a little odd uh to have a yin-yang as the cursed object. Um I mean they really could have done this type of uh ability with anything. You know, this uh the medallion works by um switching someone's consciousness into a corpse. So it has to be a dead body. Uh, person switches places, and then the body is healed of all wounds, and then you know comes back to life, and you are now inhabiting that. Yin Yang is actually, um, you know, as said in the episode, which is completely true. It's uh, the duality between the active and the passive, or active and receptive, and uh, the the darkness and light. It's that the concept that one cannot exist without the other. So to actually have you a body switching episodes, I would think that there needs to be some more type of interconnectedness, so, some, some reliability like the corpse that you just left has to be taken care of in some way or I don't know. It, it, was, it was not as interdependent as I would have liked for a symbol that means interdependentness. If that makes sense. Mm. <laughs> Go on. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. The yin uh, is the shady side. It's the negative, the passive. Uh, also represented by moon or the feminine energy. It's the covertness. And yang is the sunny side, the the positive, the open, masculine energy. Uh, very active uh symbolized by the sun sometimes and it is the symbol of interdependent of opposite and contrary forces so that uh light cannot be light without darkness uh light cannot um uh, exist without shadow uh it, it's it's that type of uh one cannot exist without the other and so therefore the whole is like unity within duality and um that right there is that unity when the body switched you know first it was um in the very beginning we see it in action where this uh woman is having i i suppose an affair and her husband is upset. It's, I don't know. There's some sort of love triangle thing going on. You're trying to figure it out really fast in the very beginning of the episode. And then um, uh, he, the, the the lover, kills the husband. And then as soon as he's dead, puts the symbol on him. And then he puts his hand over top of that. And then, boop, 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 you know, it, so they switch bodies. And then, you know, he is now in the husband's body, free from wounds. And you see that several times in the episode where they, it switches the bodies. But at the very end, the last switch, it, the symbol doesn't really heal all the wounds because it transferred into a really, really aged taxidermied corpse. Yeah, this, this episode is very, very creepy and, and very horror film. I love this episode. This is a great episode. Uh,
0: uh, after they, uh, after they leave the diner where Johnny, like, picks a fight to, uh, to, well, not really picks a fight, but tries to get involved in something he shouldn't, and, of course, Mickey points out, you know, if you're done picking fights for the night, uh, they settle down in a cabin with a, uh, roaring fireplace, and, uh, it looks like they're about to get it on.
1: Well, yeah, you know, but, you know, these, these two brothers basically almost try to, um, I don't know, uh, steal mickey away in some way you know, they were trying to tempt her to take a ride with them in their truck yeah but no
0: what i'm saying though is if this was a actual like horror movie show uh um, yeah. mickey and mickey and johnny would have uh started getting it on
1: oh yeah. Yeah, yeah at the at the cabin that is owned by the two creepy brothers with all the taxidermies animals anywhere yeah sure you know in a horror movie they totally get it on
0: yeah they would be but... like boning it up before they uh before the cannibalistic serial killers show up. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. because yeah, that is, you or, know, worst and number one is you or, can't have sex.
0: Or uh, Jason Voorhees. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty much, you know, just like any Friday the thirteenth kind of plot line. <laughs> so But that does not happen. Mickey and Ryan uh Mickey and Ryan. Uh, Mickey and Johnny do not hook up, nor do they ever hook up on Friday the thirteenth.
1: Correct, correct. Uh, you know, probably to the chagrin of Johnny, because he was really trying to, you know, make an impression on her. I mean, better he him did than see Ryan. From the rednecks,
0: better him than Ryan, her cousin.
1: That's true. It's true.
0: Uh, these hillbillies and their uh, weird family that they have mummified at their house. Um, this is where it's like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because you have the grandpa. You know the girl gets kidnapped. She's tied up at the dinner table. The uh, Leatherface and his family of killers are there. Grandpa is like looks like a mummified corpse, but he's actually still alive. And uh, you know she's got to kind of suffer through it.
1: Yeah, it's really creepy. You know the he he makes her a mic. I guess his name is uh makes her start up the. Uh, record player, and then it causes the rocking chair to rock back and forth for the dad, really creepily. Um, but you you know that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Psycho, um, anything based on that is is all really based on the crimes of Ed Gein, Ed Gaines. Yeah, Ed Gein.
0: yeah, Gene. Yeah, Gene. 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 That's how you pronounce it. Yeah, I think it's oh. Gene. Um,
1: Butcher, Plainsfield, Wisconsin.
0: What's funny is the episode is directed by Alan Croker, who, going by his career, a lot of Star Trek stuff, like a ton of Star Trek stuff, uh, like every single iteration of Star Trek and syndication he directed. Uh, he also did Epit- Ep- Epitaph for a Lonely Soul. Oh, which oh okay. covered. Um, but uh, this is pretty much uh, it besides Forever Night for his uh, any horror ties that he has. Um, oh, he did the the TV series Blood Ties, which I would like to cover maybe one day. Um, oh, we did the episode Faith, which is a uh, Dean Winchester gets electrocuted and they go to a, uh, a faith healer and uh, to try and cure him. And the faith healer's uh, wife has a de- has been using a reaper to steal other people's life force to give it to people who are dying.
1: You know, I think I saw that one episode.
0: Yeah, it also stars Julie Benz.
1: Yeah.
0: I've only seen like...
1: Supernatural sporadically here and there, but I think I saw that episode.
0: Um But a uh, really good director because a lot of these episodes I've seen that he's done and still working to this very day. So, this episode definitely had like a motif for like a horror movie for it from beginning to end.
1: Oh yeah. Um in Elise Wax's book Uh, Curious Goods, behind the scenes of Friday the 13th, the series. Uh, She actually has a quote here from uh, our man, Jim Henshaw. Uh, He says that. uh, What's it? It was one of the scariest, best things we did. I think that's a great quote.
0: That is a great quote. Um, What else do you take from this episode? What other notes do you have, Mr. Zeneca?
1: Uh, let's see here. I've got some information about, uh, Ed Gein?
0: No. I mean, we don't need to go... I'm gonna edit this part out. We don't need to go in Ed Gein. I mean, he's pretty much one of the most well-known serial killers, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
0: We don't need to go in Ed Gein. I mean, we've already kind of referenced that, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Psycho is heavily tied to him, but... Then then that's all I have. Okay. Yeah. And no offense. It's just... I just think he's just so well-known, you know what I mean? Understood. Yeah. Um... I don't own a a pin of Yin and Yang, but I will tell you the first time I was introduced to the Yin and Yang symbol, I was ten years old, and there was a comic book, uh, *Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Adventures*, which was an Archie publication, uh, to tie into the cartoon series at the time. However, the comic book eventually went kind of its own path, just still using the same character models from the cartoon. And there was this story Involving this guy who could turn into a dragon That April was dating And like the yin and yang in the beginning Of like this one issue is explained About how like the moon is made from his eye And the sun is made from his other eye And he's like blindfolded And Mm -hmm. Splinter eventually has to call on, like, the power of the yin and yang to help defeat, like, this giant demon who rises up
1: to
0: to fight the dragon. It was, like, really, like, metatextual uh, storytelling for this Ninja Turtle comic book where the turtles had to team up with this, like, fox ninja to fight this demon, to fight these ninjas. And this dragon was being used to, like, start tearing apart uh, the uh, 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 nuclear silo in Japan to cause a uh, nuclear meltdown and uh it be after the story like every store every chapter of the story had some like really you know like morally well told like you know a-, a story to tie into the main story arc involving like yin and yang light and dark and uh one of the chapters was also like how splinter was like a little bo- this is when he was a man, not just a rat like he was <clears> a little boy during world War two and he saw. You know, the, the plane fly overhead to drop the, the atomic bomb. And his uncle, you know, was actually, unfortunately, looked directly at the blast and went blind from it. Um, and then one other story was about the yin and yang, and then another story was about something else. But anyway, it was just really well storytelling for, for a Ninja Turtle comic book. So, But that was my first introduction to what what that symbol even means. And they Pretty explained it cool. to the kids very well, too, because I looked it up later on. that's somewhat loosely based on, you know, like real
1: Japanese folklore. Wow, wow, that's great. Um, I don't think I have a yin and yang symbol on any of the jewelry or pendants, charms, medallions, etc. Um, I might, although, you know, you get gifts from people that travel to places or that think that just because you're new agey, you like everything. So I might have something in a tucked in way in a drawer, but nothing important.
0: Gotcha. Well, that is pretty much all the notes I have here for this episode. Were you able to find a promo for the second one? I was not. Oh, really? My wife is a
1: dog, does not have a promo on YouTube. you absolutely sure? Uh, Let me double check. I mean, I checked earlier today, but that was on my phone.
0: I think a lot of men would agree that their wife is a dog.
1: (laughs) Ha! Because they're Bitches. (laughs)
0: do you think I should leave that in the recording (laughs) (laughs) I probably won't okay I probably won't leave that in the recording but I might throw in something about now why would they call the title my wife is a dog what is another word for bitch without actually implying my own um, two cents about it but we can probably give away the definition of the word bitch which is female dog
1: Female dog, yeah. Which, by the uh, way, then actually, I'll, I'll, okay. try I, a, uh, I, I'll
0: try and pull up a. I'll try and pull up a little clip from The Simpsons where Bart's like, "Santa's little helper hasn't been any fun since his bitch moved in." And Marge goes, "Bart, I don't ever want to hear you using that word." He's, she, he's like, "What? I looked it up. That's what she is. She's a female dog. It's a bitch." And Marge's like, mm, "I'm going to write to the Webster's Dictionary." <laughs> okay, I, I found it. Okay.
1: Okay, I found it. The reason I couldn't find it is not filed under Friday the Thirteenth. Okay.
0: All right. So type in.
1: 316, my wife as a dog. Hold on. Promo.
0: 316. 316, my wife as a dog. As a dog. Promo. Okay, I got it. All right, pause your thing. Okay. All All right.
1: Like your dog. For evil lurks in the most innocent objects. Of dreams. Unleashing a curse that feeds on death. Making my dreams come true. Transforming a man's best friend into a woman's worst nightmare. I know her, her flesh me. is under your skin. On an all-new episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Next week, you'll howl with fright.
0: we're back with friday the 13th the series with my wife as a dog which man that that title just somebody had somebody had some fun at some type of expense and we will get into it
1: well my wife as a dog was originally aired february 19th 1990 a neurotic man uses a cursed dog leash to transform his wife into an obedient and faithful canine
0: Again, another episode we should have had Jim Henshaw back on the show for, considering the subtext of that entire description implies so many things. A man, a man, uses a leash, a dog leash, Mm -hmm. to transform his wife into a bitch. Yes. Which is the definition... A female dog. A definition of a bitch is a female dog. Not to be calling a woman a bitch in a derogatory manner. Or to be acting like a little bitch because you're a whiny little baby. So that way we're separating these two definitions. But to turn her into a dog, somebody was having a bad day in the writer's room.
1: Was it a bad day or was it the best day ever?
0: that he got to he or she or Jim or Frank or somebody, I, let's, I'm let's i not going to speculate. And we could ask Jim, hey, so where did this... T- what is Okay, before we get into the episode... It is, a, is a weird it-
1: concept. It's a very weird concept here. And I guarantee,
0: Mr. Zeneca, in today's hashtag, me too hyper oversensitive, everything's a problem, baby, it's cold outside, hating on BS that we keep living with, which some of it is... is is. Except some of it is
1: disclaimer, disclaimer. Yes, yes go
0: some, on. Some of some of uh some of the things that we find offensive today are justified, but every five goddamn minutes we're finding something else to be offended by has become a bit overdone. This episode would never ever be made today unless it was on like HBO or Netflix. You know what I mean?
1: And I think the only thing that is problematic about it really is the very final scene where woman is looking up at her husband behind bars with a subservient look on her face i think that right there would be the you know you'd have to edit that out
0: yeah security guard turned firefighter right yeah yeah um but just the the idea of a man turning his wife into a subservient slave like an animal, is unto itself a whole fetish, but this is all completely non-consensual and involving a cursed object by the devil. So the fiction being thrown in there to to allow this to happen might allow this to be still probably broadcast on regular network television, possibly, because cursed objects by the devil, you don't have any control over what you do with them, maybe.
1: Yeah, there is that level of fantasy element that would separate this plotline from some sort of other, you know, female subservient desiring plotline. Yeah, there's there's that that element of horror and and fantasy that, you know, makes this allowable, makes this makes this okay.
0: Yeah. Otherwise, I just I see today's society would have a lot of problems with this. <laughs> I mean, first of all, yeah. the guy can't get a clue to leave his ex-wife alone either. I mean, she wants to file for divorce, and he keeps trying to get back with her.
1: That's true, but that's not
0: uncommon. No, that's not uncommon, and that's not – as long as it's not pushed into an uncomfortable manner, that's I, – I don't want to say it's okay, but I, I don't see a problem with somebody still being in love with somebody and trying to patch stuff up you know, until it be, starts becoming threatening, uh, violent, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, my, I I'm divorced. You're divorced. Yeah. Um I didn't have a lot of desire to get back to, together with my ex-wife, but she did try and push it one time, um, and I think she had just recently ended a relationship, possibly. I don't know. And I didn't want to give into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and I'm glad I didn't, of course. But uh, I never found a desire to want to get back together after the second time we broke up.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I actually didn't I was the one that did not want to sign divorce papers uh-huh. uh and I refused to for two years so um in this episode, there's a whole lot of discussion about the husband needing to sign the divorce papers, and that's all that the wife really wants is just sign the divorce papers and like coming from the person that didn't sign until basically I had to um i i i' I feel what he feels. He's, you know, it's, it's very human. You know, you might not want the person, but you don't want to give them up. And he definitely wanted her still, but didn't want her in this very active role that he wanted her subservient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this therapy? Is this <laughs> this feel, feels like therapy. Yeah,
0: this feels like therapy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah. So he wants to get back together with his ex. He's got this, uh, what type of dog is that? Uh,
1: retriever, like a golden retriever of some sort.
0: Yeah, golden retriever who's pretty well trained. I mean, God, a dog that big. Okay, first of all, this guy's got to be, uh, who is the actor in question? It is Dennis Forrester, right? Yes. Dennis Yeah,
1: Forrester. he was on other, uh, episodes.
0: Yeah, yes, of course. Uh, we've talked about him before. Um,. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, died too soon, as I always wanted to point out, because he was 41 when he passed away, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, that's,
0: um, that's definitely a shame. That is very, very young, and I'm a few years away from that, so I'm like... Garr, garr. Uh, but of course, uh, his standout role is probably... Uh, oh my god, actually, I, I want to say every every episode this guy has been in is a standout role. There's, I mean, Eddie Monroe from Cupid's Quiver is probably the best, because that was the first, but I think they're all pretty good.
1: They all are, and and he's definitely one of those actors that can grab you and and steal your attention with his creepiness, that kind of on edge because you know he was the bad guy in Cuba's Quiver and Brain Drain, and he was in the Mephisto Ring, and then this episode. So in each one, his performance stood out, and, and he would, that's why they kept casting him. And, and he would be one
0: of those actors who would jump ship to War of the Worlds, as he was on twenty one episodes of that show. Wow. Yeah. yeah, so uh, again, gone too soon. But uh, if you look at him shirtless with shirtless on INDB, he looks pretty physically fit. So he could pick up a dog that, that big. That dog's going to weigh, like, almost, what, 70 to 100 pounds? Those are not yeah, small I, animals.
1: I, I wouldn't say 100. I would say closer to 70.
0: Yeah, but those still are not small animals. No, no. no. That that That's pretty good, in my opinion. Um, But uh, so the dog is also, you notice the eyes of the dog are very, like, They cut the frame of the film to put the human eyes within the eyes of the dog because we don't have CGI. Oh, yeah,
1: the the blue eyes Uh, over top. So when the dog slightly moves, it's a little, you can see it a little bit jarring.
0: (laughs) Right, 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 right. Uh, We get Jack back in this episode after two episodes, Jackless. Mm hmm. Jackless.
1: Jackless. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he comes back and uh, he is the one that is uh keeping a tail on our main uh, villain uh, Aubrey.
0: Uh, 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 what did you just say? You said he was keeping a tail.
1: Keeping a tail.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, dad jokes aside.
1: <laughs> and he's just barking up the wrong tree.
0: <laughs> Mom jokes are more like it since you're a female. Um
1: <laughs>
0: barking up the wrong tree. Wow. Hey that joke
1: Jack actually made in the episode.
0: Do we have any information from um, the book about the special effects used in this episode Because I gotta give it up The um, In the previous episode The uh, the way people look mummified, mummified Was really well done And in this episode The tiny bit of transformation that we get Now I have talked about previously Before about Supernatural uh, My other podcast has done uh, A werewolf episode And I trashed The werewolves on Supernatural Because they're never werewolves They're always elongated teeth and fingernails And that's about it. And there's an episode coming up that I haven't watched yet from this season where werewolves return. But um, in this, it's okay for the time period, which is 1990. And when I crap all over Supernatural, that's a television series on a major network owned by Warner Brothers that can't do makeup effects on a werewolf for some reason. But this in 1990 on a limited budget in syndication,
1: not that bad. Well, uh, Elise actually says in her book that Kim Nellis, who plays Leah, uh, the wife in the episode, talked about her transformation here, and she says the, uh, quote, the process for my transformation into a dog was hard. I won't lie, uh, Nellis tells me. I had to have special contact lenses put in, they told me that they were the same kind Michael Jackson used in Thriller. I also had to have a plaster cast made of my face that they could build prosthetics on. That entailed sitting in a chair for half an hour with just two straws up my nose to breathe while the plaster set. I had a panic attack, and I had them rip it off. They said, if you can't do it this time, we'll have to cast someone else. So I managed to get through it the second time, but it took everything in me. It was the most claustrophobic thing I've ever been through. The actual shoot days where they put the prosthetics on my face were fun and fine. I mean, I was being tended to, like I was a star, being fussed over and worked on for sometimes up to four hours. It was exciting. End quote. Now, which actress was that again? That was Kim Nellis, who plays Leah.
0: Okay, so Kim Nellis was on Kung Fu The Legend Continues, and that's pretty much it. She doesn't have much of a career after uh, 19 early 90s, and then she comes back for a short in 2015, but that's really it.
1: Wow, I wonder if this role traumatized her.
0: Mmm, maybe uh, the actress who plays Joni is Jane Eastwood. No word if she's related to Clint Eastwood. I couldn't find any information about that, but she has a long career, which the imdb page kind of goes on and 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 on, which so that's great for her. um still working to this very day, just did half a pantaloon. I don't know what that is but she was also on Transylvania, sorry, Hotel Transylvania the series recently as various voices.
1: Oh, cool. My son loves that series. Ugh,
0: really? <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh he my does.
0: god. <laughs> I am sorry, but I after seeing the third film that came out this past year, I was like, mm-hmm. "Ooh, they should have stopped this after the first one."
1: Yeah, the second one was good. I third one, though, not really.
0: I do love me a Mavis cosplayer. <laughs> yum yum yum. Let me tell you.
1: <laughs> I I hear you. <laughs>
0: wow. <laughs> um, that's a whole other story. <laughs> oh, and by the so, way, and she was on Babar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so in this episode, uh, our cursed object is a dog leash. An now, do Aboriginal you own a dog, dog leash. leash.
0: In any of your fetishdom, or do you actually own a dog?
1: I'm sorry, what was that?
0: Do you own a dog leash in any fetishdom, or do you actually own a dog?
1: I, I own a dog leash for fetishism. <laughs> but I also own a bridle, too.
0: Uh, what's in that? case
1: you're into horses.
0: Oh, 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 oh. Okay, you don't have to explain any further. But do you own yeah. a dog? I do not own a dog. I, I own a cat. I would love to own I a have dog. Like, I have two cats. I would love to own a dog. I would love to own a corgi, actually. And that's probably from my love of Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> I think the dog in this episode is really nice and I do like Golden Retrievers but all that hair and that dog that size they eat a lot of food
1: yeah and ha- they like to run they're very friendly, very trainable
0: Yes, some, golden, that, retrievers are,
1: golden Retrievers are excellent dogs but yeah, like they the, do have the reputation of being a little ditzy
0: they are like the American dog, right? Uh,
1: yeah. yeah or at least they have been for the last like 15 years something like that
0: something like that um, but I would own a, a i would own a corgi I've never been into like the dog pet play stuff, you know what I mean, which this episode mm-hmm. heavily implies the fetishdom of animal play, even yes. though they're not directly animal saying play, uh... It. yeah uh the episode coming <laughs> up soon, which involves like all about b d s m we'll we'll get into a lot of that, but uh this episode i mean the subtext in this episode is so there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, if if you if you uh, think of it from that angle, then you can see the entire episode with that scope. Um, if you're just kind of, uh, as I was when I first saw this episode, uh, you know, a young kid that had no idea that any of that stuff was fetishized, then, you know, I saw this like, oh, she's turning into a dog, that's cool.
0: And then deep in the back of Mr. Zeneca's head, at a very young age, a <laughs> dark sparks started churning that she wouldn't understand <laughs> until whatever age you really started getting into it <laughs> you never know we don't need to everything know is built on everything. at least not yet because we we have that episode coming up that mr zeneca will get in all sorts of details <laughs> <laughs> trying to hold it off until then because that's the big episode where it'll be all mr zeneca's uh, no, carnal uh, knowledge. Oh,
1: dude, that'll, that, that yeah, that, she is gonna I be don't watching even that know episode. what to say about her right now. She's
0: gonna be watching that episode <laughs> one minute at a time, and, like, there just gonna be entire pages of notes dedicated every minute.
1: <laughs> oh my god, maybe. <laughs> I just hope we get okay. to
0: see Mickey in some fetish wear. Mm. <laughs>
1: I'm hoping for an elegant ensemble, and I don't think I'll be disappointed by that. Oh,
0: yeah, it's been a long, long, long... I, I don't remember if I ever saw the finale of the show, so that will be... Uh, I uh, I don't remember all the details of the upcoming uh, series finale of Friday the 13th, so... Well,
1: this, this will be the first time that I'm watching it, so...
0: Yeah, and and probably yeah. for me, too, as well. Just so everyone is aware... Um, On December 30th, uh, in case you missed last week's, I think we mentioned it, December 30th will be the final episode of the year. Of course, it's the final Sunday of the year as well. But it'll be the final episode until January 13th. We will be... Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot when we actually air these episodes. Um... So we're recording. Okay, this part will be edited out. So we're recording next week two episodes, the uh, four episodes, or, or two two podcast episodes, which will be the final four episodes. Um, one episode will air the 28th, and then the fourth, right? And then uh, we skip because you're going on vacation when?
1: Uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's.
0: Okay, the week between Christmas and New Year's okay yeah so that's we're gonna be skipping an episode we're skipping a week I remember we're not recording the sixth because of my surgery so there'll be no episode from the sixth to the twelfth okay pause real quick so I know when to come back our posting of episodes might change when we get to the Adams Family but I think we're going to stick with Friday for Dracula so the week of the sixth through the twelfth Uh, We will have no episode recorded. Zeneca's going on vacation at some point after Christmas, and I will be recovering from surgery. But we will be coming back on the 13th to record the first two episodes of Dracula, so there will be a new episode on the 18th. There will be a new episode posted on the 4th. I will be posting it before I go to bed on the 3rd, um, because the 4th is my birthday and is my surgery date. I will not be in the mood to be doing anything on the computer that day. Um, so there will be the final episode of Friday the 13th on the 4th of January, and then two weeks later we come back with the first two episodes of Dracula the NBC 2013 series, not to be confused with the 30 other Dracula television series. (laughs) (laughs) As I have confused them before, (laughs) yes. There are a lot of television series with Dracula, and there's another one starting soon. If you can believe that. It's unbelievable, so... Uh, so there will be a week we don't have an episode, so uh, just so anyone's aware, we're going to be recording two episodes of the podcast back-to-back in a single night, so any current events that happen or anything that does occur in the world, or anything that relevant to the episodes, we won't be able to mention it.
1: Now, this episode, it features that Aboriginal dog leash. Now, I, I did some research into the Aboriginal Australian uh, religions, and... It's very interesting that their religion is basically separated into, or I I won't even call it a religion. It's it's their uh, the way of thinking about the world. It's separated into the dream time and dreaming. So that this leash is you know uh, the leash of dreams, and the dream time is really the formless energy that is beyond death. So it is when when you die. Uh, You would be transferred into the dream time, and then you would come back as either a plant, animal, uh, a man, or a rock, mineral, anything in this world. Aboriginals believe that uh, the interconnectedness of the world, which kind of goes along with the yin-yang from the previous episode, the interconnectedness motif, but uh, the interconnectedness is actually everything. Everything that we see that is in existence is interconnected, so I am part of the world, part of the stars out in the sky, part of you know you part is are, there, are part of me. Everything is interconnectedness, and it has this deep this deep feeling that the ground beneath their feet is part of them and to have that the almost the sense of one and the intimate sense that that this earth is actually part of you and belongs to you so you need to take care take care of it that is so strong within them that um everything is alive and so therefore uh you are now steward of this earth that you can um take care of this as if it's your family as if it's you because it is uh so the concept of mother earth is a tangible thing um the uh tribe uh, from the northwest of south australia the yankunija tujara um might be mispronouncing that but they believe that uh not only is this an interconnectedness universe everything is interconnectedness and that um their words are not passed on through written word but their oral traditions they believe that uh this in this oral tradition that this land is a key element of their culture and identity so it's it's really important um and they and they they speak out for the earth for the plants for the animals that the importance of actually maintaining and and taking care of our society and ourselves and um when someone commits a heinous crime within their culture which is a theft adultery um murder anything like that uh since they have no jails there's we're all one so um they actually uh send the person out with only a shield to defend themselves and hurl spears at them you know maybe with the purpose of harming them maiming them perhaps killing them but they have the shield to protect themselves and that's it uh once they survive that then they are welcomed back within the ranks as like penance has been uh dealt with um, that's all I'm going to say on that at the moment
0: <laughs> the uh what you said about the earth we're connected stuff like that we got to protect the earth it kind of i really hate referencing this movie but have you ever seen the movie The Happening
1: Yes! I actually loved it until the third act. Okay.
0: Um, the idea of that movie I think is great. I just do not think M. Night Shyamalan was the director to execute that at all. I don't know if he was the screenwriter as well, but I just don't think he was the right director for it. Um... That being said, glass looks really good. But uh, <laughs> I, I I do
1: love that concept that the plants were then defending themselves by it, exuding the a chemical. It, it, but... it, it,
0: it's the earth itself, the earth or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But th- that whole scene where Mark Wahlberg like, okay, hey, well, I'm just going to talk to you, all right? We're just going to have a conversation. I'm going to talk to the pl Oh, my God. I don't know what was worse, <laughs> that or a Transformers Age of Extinction.
1: <laughs> you know, he does great movies. The first and the second act are always great. It's the third act, it always falls apart. Very few exceptions to that.
0: Yeah, so that was exactly what I thought of, and I was like, I've heard this before, and then it was like, oh yeah, The Happening. Um, Of course, there's also like... uh, you know, like Captain Planet, like Mother Gaia yeah, would, yeah. Would, would resurface whenever she felt the Earth being hurt in some type of way, and mm-hmm. and that's why she needed the Planeteers or whatever to summon her champion for her. Why didn't she just summon Captain Planet herself? I don't. I never understood that at all. Why did we need these teenagers with attitudes like the Power Rangers to summon this guy who is clearly the the uh, the living empowerment of the Castle Grayskull power, uh, controlled by Mother Earth?
1: Yeah, I, I don't just. Don't, I don't know, you, you, I don't know, it's the weird Captain Planet uh, you, situation there. You
0: don't need the kids to summon the, the, the Colgate Man, okay? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you know, in the Aboriginal culture, the dreaming is actually just our environment. Oh, you know? okay. So, this leash of dreaming is like our environment, so everything that is that we can see... Is the dreaming, you know, the physical forms. Gotcha. So this leash is giving the person th- the ability to transform physical forms. Gotcha. And that's where I kind of draw that correlation.
0: Well, uh, that is pretty much it for these two episodes of Friday the 13th, the series. I didn't have any other uh, information, and uh, like we've already gone over what we own for Um You can find us on the Dead TV Podcast Facebook page, as well as our individual Twitters, Elegantly Kiki and D S A V. And if you wish to join us on Patreon, we will be doing that idea that was posted about on Patreon. We just, the holidays right now are probably not the best time to execute it. So after the holidays, we will be go backing, go backing, go backing. We will go back and uh, do some of the... And I'll
1: record special Patreon content on all of our, or on a lot of cursed objects here. Yeah, and going uh, forward as
0: well with uh, the Dracula series, and we'll figure out what we're going to do for the Addams family too. We I'm will... still figuring
1: out my audio stuff.
0: Yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna we're gonna do that. We just it's it's it, it's not a good time to do it during the holidays. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's a good time to do it when we're snowed in and there's 12 feet of snow outside and we can't go anywhere. And it's like, oh, what are we gonna do? Oh, let's work on that project. For but I live on. in
1: Philly and snow days don't happen like that very often. No, oh, okay.
0: yeah, but we live in I live in New England, so
1: <laughs> you do. but you have the audio expertise. I'm the one that has to do this. So.
0: Uh, uh, no, you're just gonna record it and then I will edit it edit it so you just got to do the recording or whatever so that way we don't always have to do it on sundays
1: yeah yeah
0: again thank you mr zeneca
1: thanks everyone
0: and for anybody uh you uh there i believe the date that we are we are airing this is the day after the winter solstice so happy yule everybody
1: happy yule time to my peeps
0: yes and then the next episode we we, we will be recording The next episode we record, and then when it's posted, it will be Christmas already. So, Merry Christmas, everybody. Because when the next episode airs, it won't air until after Christmas. So I wish everyone a Merry Christmas, a Happy Yule, and I'll hold off on Happy New Year because we'll we'll be recording an episode before the New Year. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All
1: right. Good night, everyone. Good night.